in the Bible. I want to speak this evening on a matter that you know has been spoken of before, nothing new that we will bring here tonight, but I want to ask a question, what are miracles for and why do we not see them today? You may encounter a person or an individual and be discussing this topic um, and it may come up that that person is in disagreement with you about the, the, the state of miracles today and uh, you may both argue each side and they may say, well, and you know, I've never seen a miracle, but that doesn't mean they're not possible. Um, I think first of all, what you have to do in that situation is define your terms. Are you talking about miracles in the sense that somebody uses the word in a light manner? You may say it's, it's a miracle that I made it here today with the weather such as it was or uh, the miracle of birth, those are natural things, nothing supernatural about those. What we're speaking of is the supernatural miracles that we find record of in the Bible, those things that could not happen without God's intervention. We're not speaking of providential care of God and the way that He manages and handles situations here on this earth. We're talking of those supernatural things. So if we were to encounter an individual and we were discussing this matter, we might go about the conversation explaining it to them. We might first say, well, I do believe in miracles. I believe miracles did once occur, not to say that they are occurring anymore. But we may go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10, where it says, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away, the perfect being the word and the partial being those miracles. We might also explain to them the role of the apostles and the miraculous gifts that they had. Luke 9, 1 and 2 and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. These acts that the apostles performed were nothing more, or they were merely a confirmation of the words that Jesus spoke. Mark 16, verse 20, And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message accompanied by signs. And we may go through this logical discourse with them, explaining the role of miracles as they were, and where they are and where that stands today. Using reasoning and logic, still some may not agree with us. And there are many reasons for that. Some may merely reject any sense of God. They may reject uh, the truth altogether because of a, a disposition within them. But I want to speak of one reason tonight and look at it uh, from a few different ways. I want to look at the idea of perspective. How someone looks at something determines how they think about it. They have different angles they may be coming at a topic or a situation which causes them to think differently. Now, let me use an illustration here. If I had a sheet of glass, maybe framed a sheet of glass, and I put it before me, and you were on the other side, and I was on this side, and I had a marker, I drew it from my pocket, and I wrote on that glass, and I, I sketched out a, a big number three. And I just drew that number three. It's one of those you find on a digital clock, one of the you know, straight lines, not one of these curvy threes. It's straight line number three. And I drew that number three right there, and I ask you, what did I just draw? You're going to look at me and say, you just drew the letter E. Like, no, I drew the number three. Well, you're looking at it from a different perspective than I am. Now, I think it's extremely important 
to note and to explain that just because somebody looks at something different doesn't change the truth of the matter. Now, because you are seeing one thing and I'm seeing another thing, the, true of, the truth of that matter is that I drew the number three. And we can't change that. But sometimes our reasoning and our view can change when we have a different or a more correct perspective of the situation. So we must bring those people to our side of the glass so they can see it from our perspective. So why shouldn't we expect to see miracles today? That's the question we'll look at. And I want to take a journey of sorts uh, through history. I'm looking at five different perspectives of people in history. I'm going to look at how God spoke to man. I'm going to look at how miracles were used and what their purpose was. The first one, obviously at the beginning, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve is the first perspective I want to look at. I want to place ourselves in the shoes of Adam and Eve. That may be difficult to do because I don't think they wore shoes. But metaphorically speaking, we're going to put ourselves in their shoes and see what they saw. Now, when you woke up this morning and you came to consciousness, you had a past. Adam and Eve had no past. When they woke up on that first day, they didn't have a yesterday. They didn't have memories, I presume, that they didn't have any memories of anything, any future moment. So how did God communicate with them? There's not a lot of detail about this time period. God spoke directly with Adam. The first words recorded to mankind are in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Later on we see the conversation that God has with Adam and Eve about the, the, the first sin and the punishment that is given to them. This is a very unique interaction that Adam and Eve have with God. They are the first of mankind. They are the first of creation. God was physically there in their presence. The situation is unlike any of us that have ever experienced, nor shall we in this life. So God spoke directly with Adam and Eve. What kind of things would Adam and Eve have witnessed in the garden regarding miracles? We can envision these things. Um, the first thing that really pops in my mind is that Adam and Eve were talked to by a serpent, by a snake. Now, I'm not one for snakes. Probably a lot of you are not, but a, a talking snake, that may be even a whole different level. But they were able to eat a fruit that brought knowledge. They were literally in a perfect world. What did it, what did it look like? What did it smell like? Um, I don't know if any of y'all have been to Disney World, but they have these rides that you can kind of get on and they simulate you're traveling through countries and different things and they, they actually make it smell as those places where so I often wonder what the uh, Garden of Eden smelled like. But don't forget that they walked with God. Adam and Eve experienced something that no other human will. They had opportunities that we would have loved to have. They experienced a lot in the garden. But what did Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve not have that we do? I'm not talking about a belly button. The number one thing that we have that they didn't 
is knowledge. Sure, they knew of sin after eating of the tree of knowledge, but consider what Bible messages and Bible history that they were not privy to. They did not know of the obedience of Noah, who was soon to come. And they had never heard of the leadership of Moses and Aaron and Abraham. They had never heard of the accounts of the parting of the Red Sea. They had never envisioned the 12 plagues. They have never devoted a single brain cell to the concept of a promised land or, or of the Israelites or that they were even to come. They knew none of this, but we do. My lesson wants to focus on perspective, the point of view for the first two of mankind. We are quick to place judgment on Adam and Eve. As well, they did sin and became the fall of man. But think of all of the Old Testament lessons that we have, and think of all the things that we err at. Adam and Eve were in the beginning. They were at the, for, the forefront of mankind. They were standing there about to begin a journey and had nothing behind them. I want to contrast this perspective with one of the fifth, the fifth perspective we have, and that is of today, and we'll do that a little bit later down the line. But uh, the next historical time um, setting or age that we'll look at is that of the patriarchs. We want to look at Noah, look at Moses, look at Abraham, look at the kings, look at the prophets, the time of the patriarchs. And what was it like to wear these shoes? Now, these were interesting times. The amount of biblical content that we have on these individuals is a, quite substantial. You think of all the things that we read of. Uh, think of Noah and his years of preaching and the building of the ark and the rains and the floods that came, wiping away mankind. We can look again at the 12 plagues where frogs and insects literally covered the ground. In their houses, we can see the parting of the Red Sea in our mind, how those um, refugees from the Israelites were fleeing Egypt came through walls of the Red Sea. We can see in our minds also that as Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, how God's manifestation of Himself in the clouds and the thunder in that, that setting there. We can see Sodom and Gomorrah in our minds, where we had literal fire raining down from heaven. These are very, this is a very visible presence of God, and it's unlike any that we see in our time. Now remember, Adam and Eve had none of these things. They didn't know of any of these occurrences. They didn't have any lessons taught from the book of Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They didn't have any of this, nor any of the prophets. They didn't have Proverbs. They didn't have Psalms. They didn't have the New Testament. The people in these times, that is the, the time of the patriarchs, were, they had a very different perspective than that of Adam and Eve. They lived during these monumental times, these monumental events that we read of. These were big things that were happening. And the point we want to make as we walk through these time periods, is we try to get a better understanding of how God operated and how God communicated to His people. The time of the patriarchs and today seem like two different worlds. And that can be confusing to some people. I think as we evangelize and we go to talk to somebody and they know of these uh, records that are in the Bible. And they look nothing like what we see today. So having a better perspective can help us in talking with people. 
But how did God communicate with these individuals? At times he was very visible in a miraculous way. We can look at the examples above. He audibly spoke to Moses through the burning bush. The dreams were used to communicate his message. The presence of angels can be seen. These were literally God's messengers. Why did he operate in this way? Why did he communicate in this manner? We say that, that there are no miracles today, but God obviously cre- operated and created uh, these methods of communication in the past. I don't presume, presume to know the entire mind of God, but these people were new to human history, much like we wouldn't treat or teach a young child the same way we would teach an adult. So I believe God interacted with these people differently. This is an age that was in the middle of God's developing plan, ultimately to save man. And we can see and understand the entire picture of God's plan for mankind, but their perspective would have been much different, much smaller. How, how, much difficult, how much more difficult is it to see God's plan in the middle? It is not until we are on the other side of perhaps hardship or confusion that we are able to see things more clearly. So God handled things, this, this people, in a unique time period, in a very unique way. But we can benefit from our unique perspective. The ultimate purpose here, I want to read 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Let me step forward now to the next age. I want to look at the age of Jesus. Now to kind of recap and summarize, the point of this lesson is to to know and to look at how did God communicate with His people? How did He show Himself to be God? It's reasonably fair to understand or to assume that He would show Himself to be God and that He would give instruction. And how did the circumstances of the age in which the people lived affect how this was done? This uh, time of Jesus, the third one we're looking at now, is also a unique time period. When the Son of God literally walked among the humans. Deity in the flesh. What did the people of this time have that previous time periods did not? Number one, they had Jesus. They had the history that was before them. They had the law. This is a huge benefit over earlier earlier humans. Some of the most common criticisms we have for the people of this time is how did they not know or how did they not fully grasp that this was Jesus? Remember, we're dealing with perspectives and looking at them from from where these people stood and what they could see. Have you ever received driving instructions? Now, I know driving instructions are kind of a thing of the past. Now you just punch it into your GPS and it tells you where to turn. But have you ever received instructions like, okay, I want you to go down this road a little bit here and uh, there's going to be kind of a sharp left you're going to take that left, you'll see it like a really big pine tree on the right side. It's going to be across from a big pasture field. There'll be a gas station a little bit farther, but don't go that far. And then you're just going to take a right right there. You know, you're driving down the road and you're thinking, well, was that the curve? You know, that's a pretty good pine tree, but is that the one that they're talking about? I think this could have been the situation with some of the individuals not seeing Jesus. Now, Jesus had two primary goals in this life his life while on this earth. 
Number one, he ultimately was sent to die and to be an atonement for our sins. Number two, and number two connected to that first purpose, he was to visit earth and to teach and explain who he was and what he was doing. Mark 1, 35 through 39, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. We can see Jesus preaching. We can see him communicating the reason why he is on this earth. Again, about his purpose on earth, Matthew 4, 23-24, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. We can see the miracles confirming who he is, his deity. Now this is the time period that all the prophets spoke of. This is the time period, this is the heel that would crush the head of Satan. So many throughout uh, history have looked forward to this time. And here are the very few who got to actually witness the life of Christ. True that some missed the scope of what was happening at that time, but some did not. Jesus used his miraculous abilities to confirm his mission. We could spend a lot of time on this point, and there has been in the past. Jesus used his miracles to show who he was. There was a class in the back not long ago, I think the book of John. We spent maybe a year and a half looking on uh, the purpose of the signs that were gone, uh, that were shown in the book of John there. No doubt Frank has stressed this point over and over. Hebrews 2, 3 through 4, through, 3 through 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, as it was attest to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed among, uh, according to His will. No doubt miracles were a physical blessing to those who received them. You can imagine the, the mental joy that comes from somebody who's never seen before, who can now see, or somebody who's been a, a, a cripple and are lame since birth, somebody who's had leprosy and suffered many, many years being cleansed of those things. But that was not the purpose of these miracles. The purpose of them was to confirm the things, the message that Jesus was bringing. And Jesus was a special person with a special message. He used his miraculous abilities to make this clear to the people of that time. And it was vital that they understood what was happening right before their eyes. Their perspective was one that looked on a physical Jesus. I want to move to the fourth age, the fourth time period, and look at the people there. And that is those of the early church. Jesus has, has died. He has been resurrected. The church has been established. God's message leaves the mouth of Jesus, and the duty of evangelism now lies within man. The early church was a very unique time. Twelve men were selected by Jesus himself to carry 
the torch. That's in Luke chapter 6. Paul would later call himself an apostle born out of due season, 1 Corinthians 15. But those of the early church had a very difficult job. I want to paint a picture of the situation of the early church. This is immediately after Christ's death. The Israelite nation and the Jews have been told for generations and generations that they were the chosen people. You can use air quotes there. They were the chosen people. They had records of, uh, from Abraham and his promise on down the line through the lineage there. They have the accounts of Moses bringing them out of Egypt uh, by God's hand. They had the law and the prophets. And you know how they held on to the law. They had their circumcision. You and I know that they were only chosen to bring Christ into the world. So the apostles, they were about to turn all of that upside down for them. No longer were the Jews the chosen people. Um, they were opening up the gospel, the salvation, to all mankind, the Jews and the Gentiles. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Also in Acts 10.44-48, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he asked them to remain them some days. Not only were the Jews not special uh, in the way that they saw themselves, but they also had their law replaced with a new covenant. Romans chapter 7, we can read there, there's now no longer a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Consider the Mosaic law being removed. What do the people now adhere to? They, they were followers of God. They had attempted to adhere to the law, but that's now been removed. What are they going to do? This is how they followed God. How are they now to serve God without a code? The people of this time are going through some very challenging times. But what are our two questions? How did God communicate to his people and how did he show himself to be God? Will God communicate in the same way he did before? The answer to this question at this time period lies within the apostles and the written word, the inspired word of God. This is the method that God will use to communicate with his people. I'd like to read some verses. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Also, 1 Corinthians 2.10-13, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Looking at the inspiration of these, these men, also, 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, 
Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God does speak to us, but we are not, you know, we're not going to hear Him through a burning bush. We're not going to see Him in a dream. We're not going to hear Him through a thunderous cloud uh, surrounded Mount Sinai. He speaks to us through His Word. The Word the apostles confirmed and that the inspired men wrote. The early church brought us a complete Bible. So that brings us to today. It brings us to you and me. We are with the Word. We have what none of the previous ages had, and that is a full perspective. We have a rec recorded history, the plan of salvation for mankind. Ultimately, none of the ages of God uh, and man is any better than any other when we consider our eternal destination. Every human is given equal opportunity when following uh, to follow or submit to God's will. But consider our perspective. How can we not see the clarity of the will of God? We do not, do we not see miracles today? Or why do we not see miracles today? I think maybe the better question is, why did the previous ages need miracles? We can see that God's plan for redemption as it traveled through time, it was necessary to confirm His deity. And that was the purpose of miraculous confirmation. Well, let me ask you some questions. Do we eat the same food as newborn babies? Or once a house has been built, is there a need to pour the foundation a second time? Did doubting Thomas need to place his hands in the side of Jesus and in his hands a second time once he had confirmation he needed? Now that we have the full plan of redemption for man, and we can read it over and over and over again, do we need to have it miraculously confirmed? So traveling through the times, we began with Adam and Eve at the beginning. Obviously, there was need to deal with them directly. Next, the patriarchs, as they uh, had the prophets and they were given the law and given direction by those through, through him, those that God chose. The specific men were not the point, but the, it was the message that they carried. That being the message of redemption ultimately through Christ. And as Christ reached his earth in human form, we can see that the message shifted from the coming of Christ to the focus now on His death and His resurrection, showing and proving His deity, He accomplished that goal in bringing the church. The apostles and the inspired writers were the method of, re of reaching the place in which we find ourselves today. First Corinthians 1 1 through our first Corinthians 10 1 through 4 <clears throat> I'd like to turn there if you would it reads moreover this is Paul speaking to Christians the Christians in the Corinth it says moreover brethren I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud now who is he talking about who are the fathers he's speaking of and he'll tell us here in a second all passed through the sea all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea 
all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. That is the rock was Christ. So was Christ around at the time of the parting of the Red Sea? Why would they, why would Paul bring up um, Christ when speaking of the fathers, uh, Moses? And why was he bringing up Moses as a symbolic parallel to baptism? Look a little bit further down into verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see, you and me, we are living in the end of ages. Not that the end of time will come tomorrow or uh, in May, I don't know, but uh, we are living at the end of this story of redemption. The point is, we have been given an amazing gift. We know the complete story. We have a full perspective. We are the end of the ages. We are the last page in the chapter. So what are we to do? 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And from, and from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we are to drink of the spiritual drink. We are to eat of the spiritual food that he referenced up there in 1 Corinthians. To be in Christ. That is the point. That is the, the storyline. That is the ultimate climax of what a God has set out for mankind to be in Christ. And without being in him, we are lost. But to be in Him is a simple plan. It is one that requires that you know that plan, to hear the Word, to believe it, to repent of anything that is contrary to that Word, to be baptized as it instructs you, and then or to confess and to be baptized as it instructs you. If there is anyone who needs, has need of that, or has obeyed that plan and has fallen away, we take this time to invite you now to come as we stand and as we sing. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock, that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hides my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand and covers me there with His hand When clothed in His brightness transported I rise to meet Him in clouds of the sky His perfect salvation, His wonderful love I'll child with the millions on high. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hides my life in the depths of his love 
and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. Please be seated. 